0: Welcome to Animals Today, your home for Serious Talk About Animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanksgiving is just around the corner, so I thought we'd spend a few minutes talking about tips for feeding pets Thanksgiving leftovers. According to PetMD.com, 56% of PetMD readers admitted to sharing Thanksgiving table scraps with their pets. We know the holidays, including Thanksgiving, can be a very stressful time for your companion animal. In addition you got to be aware of certain health hazards including what foods are toxic and sometimes even deadly to your pet okay so let's start with the turkey can pets eat turkey well sure but you got to be smart about it like small amounts are okay if the turkeys unseasoned and without the skin and only if you know turkey agrees with your pets digestive system some pets can't tolerate turkey so no fatty skin and no seasoning. Both of these can upset the GI tract. And another big no, make sure there's no bones. Even the smallest bones can lead to choking, and if swallowed, bones can cause obstruction, which would require surgery. Can your pet eat stuffing? No. And it's not the bread of the stuffing that can harm your pet, but it's the ingredients in the stuffing, like onion, grapes, raisins. These foods are toxic to pets. The fruits, grapes, and raisins have been shown to cause kidney failure in dogs. And going back to the onion, nothing with alliums should be given to your pet. Do you know what an allium is? It's a bulbous plant of a genus that includes the onion and its relatives. So that's onion, garlic, leeks, scallions, chives. None of these should be ingested by your pet. And these ingredients are typically in Thanksgiving dishes, including the stuffing. And in general, any rich flavors and ingredients in foods, and you know how rich Thanksgiving dishes can be, these can cause diarrhea and disagree with your pet system. Pumpkin pie, yummy, but not for your pet. However, a little pumpkin, 100% pumpkin, is actually good for your dog or cat. And not only do a lot of animals like pumpkin, it aids with digestion Peter and I buy 100% pumpkin in the can, and we often give our dogs about about a tablespoon of pumpkin, and we have large dogs, along with their meals. So judge accordingly depending on the size of your dog, but they absolutely love it. It's like a treat for them. And I know that because when pumpkin is served along with their meals, our dogs tend to go right to that tiny amount of pumpkin on the side of their dish and the first thing they eat. And the benefits of aiding in their digestion – I remember when one of our dogs, Skye, swallowed a piece of toy, we brought her immediately to the vet, of course, and identified or saw the piece of form body from the toy on x-ray of her abdomen, and it wasn't obstructing her or in any dangerous location, so that was a good thing, well... A lucky thing, I should say. So the vet thought the best thing to do is for us to just watch her closely. And she suggested for us to feed her pumpkin with every meal so it can help with the passing of the toy piece through the GI tract, which it did. We saw it in her stools about four days later. It required us physically examining each and every stool she had, but it worked. Can my pet eat sweet potatoes? Yes, but like the turkey only if cooked and prepared plain. No marshmallows on top, no spices on top, just plain. And again, our dogs love sweet potatoes. Lots of key nutrients in them, so very healthy for them as well. And same for mashed potatoes. Potatoes are okay for your pets, but not the cheese, not the sour cream or butter or onions and gravies that people usually like to include when they eat potatoes. What about cranberry sauce? Hmm. Actually, cranberry sauce is just fine for pets, but you got to watch the amount of sugar in it. So it's probably best to only provide a small taste to your pet. How about macaroni and cheese? Do people serve macaroni and cheese on Thanksgiving? If you know your pet's stomach handles dairy okay, macaroni and cheese is a safe leftover to share. If you're unsure, though, it may be best just to give them plain macaroni. And by the way, did you know that cats often develop lactose intolerance when they become adults? Good thing to know. Green beans, oh yeah. Plain green beans are a wonderful treat for pets. Fresh vegetables are a great addition to any diet. Who serves just plain green beans on Thanksgiving? So what do you do? Put some green beans aside to save your pet before making your casserole. So, yes, on plain green beans, but no in a casserole because of the other ingredients in there. Growing up in my house, my mother would always make her famous green bean casserole as part of our Thanksgiving dinner, which were mixed or topped with extremely rich and fatty ingredients. And somewhere on the bottom of the casserole dish were the vegetables. Anyway, point being plain raw or cooked beans are good for your pets. We often give our dogs raw and steamed green beans for a snack. Actually, you know what we discovered is that our dogs love all kinds of beans. We buy a big bag of beans, any any kind, pinto, garbanzos, kidney beans, and stick them in our crock pot and cook them long enough so they're nice and soft, and we add some beans to their meals. You can also just buy cans of any kinds of beans, but be sure to rinse them off well you know, just to make sure you rinse off all the salt and preservatives or whatever is added to the canned beans. Other dangerous and toxic foods you need to be aware of. Well, we all know about chocolate, right? Very important to keep all baking chocolate and any sweets with chocolate well out of your pet's reach. Xylitol, an artificial sweetener, very toxic if your pet ingests it. You know where to find xylitol? It's sometimes used in baking. It's in a lot of sweets. You can find xylitol in gum, mints, and candies. People don't realize xylitol is put in some peanut butters and nut butters, too. Xylitol is in some drink powders, jams, and syrups, and even some ice cream. Also, don't let your pet accidentally get to or chew on nasal spray bottles or toothpaste tubes or mouthwash. These all can contain xylitol. So sweeteners containing xylitol are very dangerous for your pets, poisonous to animals, potentially deadly to your dogs. Alcohol is definitely a big no for pets. Do I even need to mention that? Probably not to the average listener of the show because we know that even a very small amount can be toxic to our animals and it would be a very stupid thing for you to do to see if your pet wants a little lick or drink of any alcoholic beverage. I had a friend, an ex-friend who thought it would be neat to see if his dog would like to drink some beer, so he poured beer into the dog's water bowl. What can I say? There's people doing stupid things all around us. And keep in mind that alcohol poisoning can occur in pets from atypical items like fruitcake, since fruitcake recipes sometimes call for rum or other liquor as well as unbaked bread. And speaking of unbaked bread, don't give your pets bread dough. When a dog or cat ingests raw bread dough, the yeast continues to convert the sugars in the dough to carbon dioxide, gas, and alcohol. This can result in bloating of your pet, which is dangerous enough to your animal. And again, the alcohol, of course, both can lead to a life-threatening emergency. Other Thanksgiving hazards? How about decorations? And I suppose since this is the time of the beginning of the holiday season, Christmas decorations are also put out now. Use common sense and be thoughtful about what you display and where you place them in terms of proximity to your animals or if your pets can get to them, just like you would if you had a toddler or child. Many ornaments we put out are just the perfect size for animals to play with and then ingest. And swallowing can lead to choking and or obstruction. Avoid decorations with ribbons or other small parts that could be easily swallowed. Also, this is the time of year we put out the flowers. Many plants are toxic to our animals if ingested. A big one are lilies. Lilies are extremely toxic to cats, causing kidney failure and death. Be careful with candles and don't leave them unattended as a wayward tail can catch on fire. Close that oven door promptly. Yikes. Can you imagine your cat jumping in there or your dog inadvertently touching the sides of the oven? I mean, I'm not just saying this to be extra careful or call me neurotic, but in fact, vets see these types of tragedies in their office every year. And these are avoidable tragedies if you're just thoughtful and careful about what you're doing and who's around you. Secure the trash. It used to take our dear, wonderful, troublemaking dog Susie about two seconds to rip open a trash bag and grab the first item she could get her mouth onto. Even on walks, if we let her get within leash range to someone's trash bag left on the street, she would easily tear it open and grab something in a split second. Fun memory of our wonderful Susie Q. And finally, Thanksgiving usually means winter is approaching. As people prepare for the cold, antifreeze is used and spills can be had. And you probably know that antifreeze is highly poisonous to animals. Be careful even on walks. It might not even be your antifreeze. The sweet smell of this highly toxic substance attracts pets to it. So you might be thinking your dog is just going over to smell someone else's dog's urine or markings, but before you know it, your dog takes a lick or two of this very poisonous substance. Vet offices and vet emergency rooms are packed during this time of year, and it's up to you to protect your pet on Thanksgiving and the holidays, and all year round for that matter. With strange people at your house and the change of environment and different noises, the holidays can be quite overwhelming and stressful for your pet. It might be good to create a safe and quiet space for your pet. Having an area where he or she can be at peace, surrounded by their favorite toys and treats, will keep everyone happy. Also, inform your guests before they arrive not to feed your pet any table scraps. I would say if you can remember one thing about the holidays and pet safety, that would be the best way to minimize the added stress to your pet is to try to keep your pets eating and exercising habits as close to their normal routine as possible. Oh, by the way, did you know there's a pet poison helpline? Yes, you need to know this. And I'm going to give you that number in a minute so you get a pen ready and you should just always have this number handy. Stick it to your fridge or post it on your wall or whatever. But it's good to have readily available if you ever need it. The pet poison helpline is a 24-hour animal poison control service available throughout the U.S., Canada and the Caribbean for pet owners and veterinary professionals who require assistance with treating a potentially poisoned pet. Okay, ready? The number is 855-764-7661. So if you think your pet ingested something toxic or poisonous, call your veterinarian or the Pet Poison Helpline immediately. The sooner a dog poisoning or cat poisoning is diagnosed, the easier, less expensive, and safer it is to treat your pet. Again, that number is 855-764-7661. And you can always Google Pet Poison Helpline. Coming up, you want to guess what I think is the most pointless annual White House tradition? That's next, right after the break. Welcome back to Animals Today. Do you know why many people eat turkey on Thanksgiving? Of course we don't eat turkey in our household, but do you know the history of the Thanksgiving turkey? Actually, nobody really knows. Historians have a few different theories. According to letters and records kept by early American settlers, we know that when the colonists sat down to dine with the Wampanoag Indians, beef and fowl were on the menu. This historical meal would later become known as the first Thanksgiving. Historians can't even say for sure which type of fowl was served up that day. Anyway, people like to call it tradition, right, Peter? Yes,
1: tradition. There are many, many uh, strange and silly traditions, aren't there?
0: Peter, a little turkey trivia. Thank you. Can turkeys fly?
1: Turkeys can fly.
0: Wild turkeys can fly, but domestic turkeys cannot. How fast would you say a turkey can run?
1: Can run? Can run? Like a wild turkey running about 20 miles an hour. Yeah, that's right? it. Yeah,
0: The loose, long skin that hangs down on a turkey's neck is called a...
1: That is called a gobbler.
0: Not gobbler.
1: <laughs> waddle. Waddle. Oh, of course.
0: Isn't there a Yiddish word for...
1: For grandma's neck skin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's not nice. No,
0: isn't there like a schmaltz or that's... schlamazel or...
1: Schmaltz is a... Yiddish fat, chicken fat.
0: Okay, okay. And schlamazel? I don't know what that is. So, Peter, every Thanksgiving, the president pardons a turkey or two, which personally I think is absolutely the most senseless annual presidential or or White House tradition I can think of. And I know, Peter, that you're going to educate us on the history of this convoluted, silly ritual. And hopefully in there somewhere you're going to tell us what the point is When 56 million turkeys are killed for Thanksgiving every year, we think or the president thinks it serves some purpose to spare the lives of two random turkeys. I mean, on one hand, we, the president represents we, are publicly demonstrating an act of compassion for and kindness to a living sentient being or beans, plural, two of them usually. And I should add two living beings who did nothing wrong shouldn't be offered a pardon, right? So a demonstration of an act of kindness when at the same time we're making the bird, 56 million birds each year, who are killed in a violent, cruel fashion to be the center of our holiday tradition. Senseless.
1: And schizoid, it just is uh, weird. Sure is. So, Lori, eating turkeys in the White House around the time of Thanksgiving goes back... uh, Pretty far, and the pardon tradition actually comes much later. President Lincoln, uh, his son named Tad, he really doted on his son. Tad uh, was reported to have asked his father to spare the turkey one year, and he did. And uh, later, Tad named the turkey Jack and taught the bird to follow him around the grounds of the White House. That's so cool. Over the next decades, the tradition of having turkey at the White House for Thanksgiving uh, became ingrained and various sources brought the turkeys to the White House. In 1873, Harold Vose, who was a poultry farmer from Rhode Island, uh, sent President Grant a turkey and thereafter he sent turkeys yearly with that tradition going on and on. But by 1947, the National Turkey Federation took on the uh, task of being the official supplier of the turkey to the White House for both Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you know, Laurie, there is a common misconception about the history of the presidential turkey pardons because many people, and for a long time, it was believed that President Truman was the first to pardon a turkey back in 1947. But it turns out that is false because in 2003... The Truman Library tried to correct this mistake. Their staff researched all their materials and found no documents, speeches, newspaper clippings, photographs, or other contemporary records in their holdings, which refer to Truman pardoning a turkey they received as a gift any time during his presidency. Wow. So it's a bit of corrected history. Now, President George Bush was the first person to officially use the word pardon in 1989. And so he initiated the custom by using the word pardon. But a few days before JFK was assassinated, it's reported that he spared a turkey's life. He said, we'll just let this one grow and sent the turkey back to his farm. But it was not like an official pardon. And since then, the tradition has continued. Usually two turkeys will receive a pardon.
0: But they're really never set free,
1: are they? Well, they're supposed to go back to a farm or a sanctuary, and unfortunately, they tend not to live very long. These are grown with hormones, and they're very heavy, and they uh, just generally don't do well. In fact, the last duo that Obama pardoned, one of them died within a year, and the other uh, they said trim down a little bit and is still alive.
0: Yeah, because they're commercially raised to be abnormally large and too large to live a, a long healthy life.
1: Right, and and that that, that you know happens in a lot of these commercially raised farm animals that are rescued and end up in sanctuaries. It's not like they are normal animals. They're they're gigantic
0: and, and they're not healthy.
1: And they're not healthy. They have trouble ambulating, breathing, everything. Yeah. So there is the presidential turkey pardon. I wonder what President Trump and Melania are going to do.
0: Well, you know what I would love to see in my lifetime? I wonder how Melania
1: is going to dress these
0: turkeys. (laughs) That's not funny. Okay. You know what I'd love to see in my lifetime? Yeah. A president declining to partake in this ridiculous tradition, or better yet, partake in it, but at the same time talk about pardoning these turkeys, not for the quote, tradition, reason, whatever that is, but instead talk about industrial animal farming and overall meat consumption in our country. That's what I'd like to see. Mm, How long are you going to live? Yeah, and you're right. And I'm not holding my breath that the father, our current president of two trophy hunters, will be the first to do this.
1: Well, that's a good point. They better keep his sons away from these turkeys.
0: Yeah, really. And for you tuning in, I'd like to suggest that you try to adopt a plant-based vegetarian menu for this holiday season. See what you think. I bet it's going to make you feel really good. You know, I was just thinking that. Good point. Yeah. Okay, stick around. More with animals today, right after the break.
2: Hi everyone, this is Matt Ellerbeck and I'm a scorpion naturalist and conservationist. As such, you may have guessed that this Animals Today Minute is on scorpions. These animals are often feared because they are venomous and many individuals are scared of being stung. However, did you know scorpions can regulate how much venom they inject during a sting? Scorpions have venom as a means to quickly kill or immobilize prey, therefore scorpions control how much venom they inject during a sting as the venom is crucial to obtaining a meal. If the scorpion depletes all of its venom, it will take several days to restock the supply. Due to these facts, scorpions may not want to waste their valuable venom during defensive stings such as on humans humans. Stings occur in which no venom is injected at all. These are called dry stings. And that's your Animals Today Minute for today.
1: Welcome back to the show. Very recently I came across this really amazing video showing these bar-headed geese. These are Himalayan geese and they're, they fly over the Himalayas. They fly higher than Everest. The people who are scaling Everest watch these geese just flying right by them. And, uh, you know, how do they breathe, I'm thinking. Right. And it's really amazing. They have a series of adaptations. And that's what we're going to talk about to allow them to go so high. And uh, one of the things they have, which is something that all birds have, is this very a special respiratory system. And it's a anatomy that allows them to extract almost all or all the oxygen from their inspired air. All birds have a particular anatomy that allows them to extract all of the oxygen out of air much more than we can. And as I said, that's because there's no mixing of the exhaled with the inhaled air. They have pairs of air sacs, anterior and posterior, and that allows the air just to go by their uh, respiratory apparatus, their their lungs, where the gas exchange happens, just once. And these geese have that, in addition to other adaptations that we can talk about another time. But birds need to extract all the oxygen out of the air so they can fly, because flying is such a energy-intensive activity. And so that's pretty neat. You know, Lori, I don't remember learning about this in junior high school or high school or college. You, you, geology or biology? Yeah, or? I must have come across it at some time, but yeah. I, I lost it. But it's really fascinating. Very and, efficient breathing. And on online they've got some really great animations that just show you how the air flows. It's really interesting stuff. Anyway, that got us uh, thinking, right, Laurie, about other kinds of interesting adaptations, animals anywhere in the animal kingdom use. And... Uh, I found a couple interesting ones. Do you have one there?
0: Yes, I do have a few of them. Another animal with a very cool adaptation is the okapi. What's that? Okapi is an herbivore found exclusively in the northeast of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Specifically, they're found in the Ituri rainforest, sometimes called forest giraffes, even though to me, they don't look like giraffes, although they do have long tongues, but they look like a mix between a horse and a zebra. So it has like a body of a horse and its legs have stripes. Have you seen pictures of that?
1: Yeah, I, yes, I have.
0: Anyway, their cool feature is that they have scent glands on their feet that spread sticky tar-like territory markings to alert others of their territory. Mm. So this actually marks their territory. And it just so happens that males also mark their territory with urine, like some cats might do. And this next adaptation I have is a very interesting example of resource conservation and involves the Bactrian camel. So there are only two surviving species of camel remaining, the single humped camels from the Middle East and the Bactrian or double humped camel from central and East Asia's rocky deserts. Here the temperatures range from minus 20 Fahrenheit. So freezing cold in winter to hundred degrees Fahrenheit in the summer. So Bactrian camels face extreme temperatures and thus have a couple of key adaptations that help them to survive these brutal environments. Mm. First, their humps store fat, which can be converted to water and energy when they need it. So giving the camels the ability to endure long periods of travel without water, which single hump camels also can do. And by the way, you know what single hump camels are called, Peter?
1: Are those dromedary
0: camels? Dromedary camels, very good. Secondly, they can forego sweating until their body temperatures reach nearly 105 degrees Fahrenheit, helping them conserve fluids. And another adaptation of the Bactrian camel is that they grow thick, long coats of hair each winter, and that coat sheds in the summer. Interesting, as their fat is depleted from their humps, the humps become floppy and flabby. And when camels do refill... They soak up water like a sponge. A very thirsty camel can drink 30 gallons of water in only 13 minutes.
1: Gee. Okay, I've got one here. I think it's better than your camel one. Uh, it has to do with geckos and how they are able to climb scale walls and even, you know, suspend themselves upside down. Do you ever wonder about that? Hmm. The geckos have special feet. Actually, their little bulbous toes, they're covered in... Many microscopic hairs; they are called setae, and each of those setae splits off into even smaller bristles. Hundreds of them, called spatulae, and uh, they are so tiny that they are able to get really close to the contours of the wall or whatever surface they are they are climbing on. And that allows the molecules to interact with the molecules on the wall. So you get an electromagnetic attractive force due to the van der Waals force. How about that? And that's what allows them to do their amazing climbing feats, like climbing while they're upside down. But how do they control that? Recently, it was uh, determined that maybe geckos are able to modulate the degree of stickiness by altering the angle that these little spatulae take on their surface so they can go on, off, on, off, and scurry around very quickly.
0: That's so cool.
1: I think they're really neat.
0: Sloths. Sloths. Are native to Central and South America, the slowest mammals in existence. Did you know that? Didn't you say you had a friend in high school whose nickname was (laughs) the sloth? (laughs) (laughs) I said that. You did say that, didn't you? You don't want to name them on the air, Mm -hmm. do you? And just a funny side note about these guys, they eat, sleep, mate, give birth, and raise their young while hanging upside down in trees. So one very cool adaptation of the sloth is the green algae that it grows on its fur. This serves as camouflage and allows it to blend into the surroundings, which are trees in the tropical rainforest.
1: That's cool. Okay, this one is really neat. Do you know what the giant tube worm is? These are long worms. They live in the bottom of the sea. They live next to these hydrothermal vents. So these vents are powered by volcanic heat and nearly boiling water comes out of them. And they are way deep, like 8,000 feet below the ocean surface. Wow. So no sunlight energy gets there, but there is life and uh These tube worms, they are animals and they feed on tiny bacteria. Now the bacteria themselves get their energy right from the chemicals in the water that's spewed out. The process is called chemosynthesis and the worms that eat these bacteria can grow to be eight feet in length. Interestingly, they have no mouth or digestive tract. They depend upon the bacteria that live inside them for their food, like symbiosis. So the bacteria convert these chemicals into organic molecules that provide food for the worm. Is that fascinating? Yes. Better than camels.
0: Could be like little jacuzzi for all the neighboring plants.
1: Exactly. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In Central Africa, you can find a species known as the hairy frog. Is the frog really hairy? Well, actually, it has hair-like strands of skin that males have around their legs and backs. Anyway, hairy frogs are also known as the horror frog. Why? Because when threatened, the frog deliberately breaks bones that protrude like claws through the skin of the feet. Now, I read some salamander's ribs can do something similar to this, where the rib bolts out of the rib cage and they use them as weapons like poisonous barbs. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So anyway, the hairy or horror frogs, their hind feet contain claws that are made entirely of bone and that are underneath the skin. And a muscle connected to each bony claw can contract, breaking it off and pushing the claw through the skin.
1: Okay, Lori, here's a neat one. I actually didn't know about this. There's this term called caudal, C-A-U-D-A-L, autotomy. That is when lizard or salamander or gecko, they can drop a piece of their tail, and the tail wiggles and distracts their predator, and the predator goes for their tail, and then they run away. There are various ways that they are able uh, to do this. And they save it for when things are really dire because uh, dropping their tail, you know, they need their tails, they store a lot of energy in there, and uh, it takes a while for it to recover. Scientists are studying the leopard geckos because their tails, after they are released, seem to move in a peculiar way that may tell us something about the nervous system.
0: Okay. Well, last one, I have the freakiest adaptation of all. The Texas Horned Lizard...
1: Okay, I know that animal. I don't know what you're about to say.
0: Okay. Texas Horned Lizard is a North American lizard with a spiky body. The brown spiny body serves as an absolute camouflage so much so that it becomes difficult for the predator to spot it, especially when the lizard stands motionless. But one of its defense techniques is that the lizard can squirt blood from its eyes. Mm. When the Texas Horned Lizard feels threatened, it literally shoots blood out of its eyeballs Uh
1: okay what a wonderful world we live in (laughs) right interesting and there are zillions of these it's fascinating
0: it is fascinating more with animals today right after the break
3: Every day in the United States, 70,000 puppies and kittens are born. Unfortunately, there are not enough homes for all these cats and dogs. As a result, they end up being neglected, abandoned, or euthanized in shelters. In fact, millions of healthy, loving, and adoptable pets are killed in our shelters every year. On average, more than half of animals that enter shelters get euthanized. However, there is good news and two powerful ways you can help this problem. First, make sure to have your dogs and cats fixed, even before they have one litter. That is a good way to reduce overpopulation. And second, when you want a new pet, make sure to adopt him from a shelter instead of buying him from a pet store or a breeder. When you adopt, you really save a life, and that makes everybody very happy. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org.
0: Hey, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today. Here's a question for you. What do game show host Bob Barker, actress Tippi Hedren, journalist and author Jane Velez Mitchell, and rock legend Paul Rogers all have in common? That's right. Each one has been a guest on Animals Today. In fact, people from all walks of life, like scientists, lawyers, dog and cat rescuers, and whale protectors have shared their views and described their work on behalf of animals on the show. So keep up on the latest and most important animal news and issues from around the world each week right here. Make sure to join the discussion on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And of course, I welcome your ideas and suggestions. So feel free to contact me at Dr. Lori. that's D-R-L-O-R-I, at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. See you next time.
1: back to the show. There is so much in the news, Lori, I want to share with you, okay? Yeah. Okay, let's start with this. In Kenya, they are still, as you know, fighting those poachers who are killing those elephants. New technology called Wiper Ballistic Shockwave Sensors. This is developed by researchers at Vanderbilt University and Colorado State, they are being integrated, these sensors, into third-party tracking collars of these elephants. There is like a thousand of them wearing these collars. And these sensors are able to detect and then report when a shockwave happens, like from a bullet going by, going past the elephant or hitting the elephant. And this is very important in finding out where those poachers are and then homing in on them really quickly oh that's so cool and currently the poachers well they're using noise suppression technology silencers on their rifles to try to decrease but this they will not be able to really defend so hopefully this will be another strong method to determine where the poachers are and round them up and take care of them oh that'd be so great Yeah, it will be great. You know, Save the Elephants estimated that about 100,000 elephants were killed for their tusks between 2010 and 2012 alone. Okay, Laurie, here's a little bat news. More research needed, as they say. And here's a story I really like. I don't know if you've seen any of these videos, but it's really neat. And it has to do with keeping the birds away from the planes around airports and airfields. We're all familiar with that amazing bird strike and the landing on the Hudson that happened a few years ago. And that was caused by birds flying into the engines of a jetliner. Well, how do you keep birds away from airfields? The current technology involves loud sounds and other sorts of scary devices. But it turns out the birds habituate very quickly to these things and they don't really mind them at all. So this is where technology comes into play. And what we're seeing now are Robotic falcon birds, robots, drone birds controlled remotely that are flying around, flapping their wings. They look just like falcons and they're about to be deployed at Edmonton International Airport, which is Canada's largest airport in terms of surface area. And they are going to be testing these robots, they call them roe birds, for about three months and see if they can scare away the birds away from the airfield area. That is incredible. And you should see the videos of these devices. They are not, There's no propeller. They're just flapping their wings. It's like Da Vinci would be amazed by this, wouldn't he? Roe birds. I love it. Yeah. So the company that makes these is called Clear Flight Solutions. And they say that a combination of the silhouette of the roe bird, which looks just like a bird of prey, and the wing movement are the things that cue the other birds to get out of the way. So we'll see how this goes. I think it has a great potential. Now, I didn't mean to imply that this is going to prevent bird strikes some distance away from the airfield, such as the one that we talked about earlier. But you need to keep animals away from the airports.
0: And look how many animals' lives you'll be saving if this works.
1: That's right. Great technology.
0: So Peter and I are always on the lookout for cruelty-free cars, meaning no animals or animal byproducts go into the making of the car. And usually this refers to the interior of the car, like the seats or the gear stick or the steering wheel, and even the glue holding parts together. And just a little fact for listeners, it can take anywhere from five to 15 cows to make out a leather interior in a car. Anyway, Drive.com has put out their list of the six of the best cruelty-free cars. Number one on their list is the Tesla Model X. So as far as I can tell, Tesla is one of the companies that sort of led this trend to offer leather-free options, right, Peter? Yeah, we're following Tesla very carefully. Or at least for the luxurious cars. So anyway, instead of the genuine leather, you can get an ultra-white synthetic leather seating... Next on the list, you got the Toyota Prius.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this whole thing frustrates me so much. There's What no, frustrates you? Uh, this this list. I want something uh, sportier and uh, more fun. I don't want to. I really don't want to drive a Prius. So I hope the list gets better. So go ahead, go on with your Prius.
0: Okay, don't get annoyed with me. I'm frustrated, too. I would like a vegan Ferrari as well. Okay,
1: I'll get you the first one that's available. Okay.
0: <laughs> so anyway, this Prius, they use something called Softex, which is a synthetic material that mimics leather. And it's actually more breathable than traditional leather seats, so your bottom won't stick to the seats in the summer. And, of course, this car is a hybrid. Okay, moving on. Lexus NX, they use a material called Nulux, which is leather free and according to the article where tesla was or is focusing on veganizing their cars lexus is more concerned about reducing their carbon dioxide and vo2 emissions lexus insists nullex is less harmful than other synthetic materials so of course better for the environment as well as be nice to our cows okay that's sort of uh, admirable yep Next, we have the BMW i3. That is a funky looking little thing. Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay. I don't think I've seen it, but you know what? I'm just going to read to you what they say about this one, because it seems to me that this is far from cruelty-free, so I don't understand why it's on this list, but here you go. The i3 is one of the greenest cars on the road, one that offers leather option for purists with hides naturally dyed using olive leaves. On the other hand, the plant-based kina fibers used for door paneling are known to be one of the most sustainable fibers in the world. Perhaps most impressive is that 25% of the plastic used is recycled, and nearly 100% of the seat fabric is recycled. This is an initiative that not a lot of other manufacturers are implementing, and it definitely separates companies dedicated to reducing the carbon footprint from those that aren't.
1: Okay, maybe not on this list, but it's
0: notable. But they're using hides from animals. Yeah. Just because they're naturally dyed using olive leaves doesn't make them vegan. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next is the Range Rover Velar SUV. Have you heard of that one? No. And finally, the Mercedes-Benz C-Class. So they do have a faux leather called Artico. I guess they're trying to combine the words artificial and cow Artico. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mercedes-Benz guarantees you won't notice a difference, smells and feels like real leather, but they claim it's easier to maintain and clean.
1: Now, these are on their sort of lower models. You can't get a real fancy, sporty Mercedes with this stuff, I guess.
0: And why? These should be out there, right? Well, I think they're coming, decade or two. Oh, anyway... They do give a tip at the bottom of this piece that if you're a strict vegan and you're looking for a completely cruelty-free car, as far as your definition might be in terms of absolutely no animal or their byproducts in the making of the car, then you should reach out to the manufacturer, even if the salesperson tells you it's cruelty-free. Because cars may claim to be cruelty-free, but remember, even cloth seats can be glued together with adhesives derived from animals, and many cars do not come with cruelty-free steering wheels
1: yeah that we found that to be true
0: yep we did
1: so i find this whole thing still very frustrating particularly if you want to enjoy your ride and you don't want to make too many compromises uh your options are really severely limited so far right lori i
0: totally agree yeah and thank you for tuning in to animals today this is dr lori kirschner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet the animals Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at Animalstodayradio.com.
1: Animalstodayradio.com.
0: And visit us on Facebook.
1: And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's Animalstodayradio.com. Thanks for listening.